There we go. Hello. Good evening, good evening, good evening. I think people are still joining or sorting out their audio. So I'm going to keep saying good evening for a little bit. My name is Stanford. I'm going to be doing this webinar with Colin tonight. We're trying to make it more interactive since this is most likely going to be a small group. Um, so as I said, my name is Stanford. I'm a medical doctor uh, specializing in psychiatry at the moment, previously worked in maternity, also yoga teacher and yoga therapist trainee under Colin. So Colin, over to you. Hi Stanford. Um, my name's Colin. I am a yoga teacher, yoga teacher trainer, um, yoga therapist trainer. Um, I've spent the last um, 20 years um, working with people in different environments, different situations, and with different conditions. And the priority of the approach um, taken within yoga is that it's the individual with the condition. So the condition tonight that we'd like to discuss with the individual in mind is jet lag. And jet lag is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's linked to rhythms and it's linked to cycles within the system. So, uh, and also it, jet lag is, is, is fairly, a kind of like a very kind of almost a, a new condition. It's something that up until, let's say, until we sort of started sticking people into metal containers and throwing them at very fast speed through the air, wasn't a condition that we kind of knew about. So it's it's one of those, it, it, it was never experienced before the invention of, of fast airborne travel. Um, it's to do with cycles and Cicadian cycles and I want to ask Dr. Stanford just a little more about this. Could you sort of begin to, if we can be maybe flesh out between us and begin to build out this understanding of, of what jet lag actually is, the cycles and the rhythms it affects. Um, I think let's start there and then we can sort of build a little further through that. Would that be okay? Good, happy to speak. Um, so first of all, jet lag is, as Colin said, is the physiological condition that um, comes from the alteration of uh, the body's circadian rhythm. So I think most people know what circadian rhythm is, but just in case we tend to be awake when there's the sun outside. So if you say we can see the surrounding, we can go hunt, we can go gather, we can go farm. When it's uh, nighttime, when it's dark, when it's cooler, we won't want to go to sleep um, because we feel a bit safer. We don't want to really be wandering around and potentially get attacked by our predators. That's the rhythm that not only physiologically, but almost genetically has been programmed after thousands of years into most species. And um, so that, we, you know, we, we work as well as rest at the appropriate time. Now, I'm going to actually contradict Colin, uh, saying that jet lag is a relatively new um, condition, because if you look at jet lag slightly more on a basic level is when our circadian rhythm has been disrupted. And actually that can be done intrinsically, meaning that it can just come from ourselves. Of course it can be done extrinsically. So jet lag is one example. Another example is if you work in ships. So especially if you work in the hospital, like this very unfortunate individual sometimes, uh, in the middle of the night, if you work in supermarkets, if you work in some 24 hour centers where the shift patterns and you don't really get the opportunity to sleep in the middle of the night, then you're slowly going to that rhythm as well. 
But intrinsically, sometimes some people naturally don't follow the 24-hour circadian rhythm. Some people naturally go to sleep a little bit earlier, so they sleep when they're still light out. Some people actually go a little bit later, and those are the ones that are called advanced sleep phase disorder. Um, the one that before is called the late um, sleep phase disorder. So they go to, uh, they were very awake when they are um, dark outside, you know, those night owls. Uh, and some people just simply so irregular, they don't actually follow the 24 hour sleep cycle. They are rare, they're not very, very, very common, but they actually do exist. And we do see them in the spectrum of um, the human design, so to speak. So sorry to contradict, but I know we sometimes like to contradict each other a little bit, Colin. So there you go. That's, what my, that's my brief view of jet lag. Thank you. Um, and, and I'm really happy with you contradicting, really am. Um, so there's a couple of things that, that just I'd like to clarify, you know, that just came out of that for me. Once the circadian cycle and, and this rhythm, so it, it means that there is a there is a, a cycle of sleep and a cycle of wake. And the this rhythm that's going on, it's it's it regulates the sleep and wake process. So, it, and also you mentioned something else quite interesting as well, and this becomes important because if we start to look at the direction to take with jet lag, what we start with, we need to take these things into account, which is why I'm just kind of recapping with regard to this with you. Um, it, it means that we're looking at something that regulates. So something that regulates is something that's consistent and has a consistency and consistent aspect to it. But then what's starting to happen is that that consistency is being interrupted. So it means that the sleep-wake process is being interrupted. Um, and also the response to the environment is also being interrupted as well. And you also mentioned something quite interesting as well with regard to the fact that this cycle is over 24 hours. So it's a roughly a 24-hour cycle that works in a consistent way. Um, and also it's associated with connected with the light and dark cycle as well. So we've got this idea of light and dark, we've got this idea of sleep, wake, we've got this idea of a rhythm or a cycle. And so it, it's, there is a difficulty initiating or maintaining sleep within this area. So, and the other thing is that it's, it, it's something that it, it's, it's not caused by a medical condition, which is the other thing. So for me, we've got a starting point here, which is kind of interesting because if there are underlying medical conditions, they can be exaggerated by this interruption of the cycle. So I just wanted to kind of like map these out because it, it, it means that, um, for me, these become the starting points because it means that there is sort of almost acute transient insomnia and also a lot of daytime fatigue within the way that this is happening. Um, so question to you, Stanford. Um, I, I just, I don't know, do you want to add any more, anything more to that? I've already kind of covered those bases because for me, these are kind of like the key points. Um, Go for it, hit me with the question. Well, I was gonna say, what, what are, apart from sort of this transient insomnia and also this sort of this kind of like fatigue that we're getting. Um, are there any other sort of, what are the other symptoms of this? So the other 
really obvious symptoms is like brain fog. It's kind of associated with the fatigue that, you know, you just literally can't really think straight. Some people actually get dizziness, nausea, headaches. Um, sometimes that is associated with the dehydration you experience from the high pressure um, setting that's in the middle of the air as well. Um, a lot of the time have people have problems with digest digestion. So people get a bit more constipated, they lose their appetite for a few days. Some people even go a little bit more irritable, anxiousness, anxiety, mood changes. Um, depending on how regular people travel, how regular their sleep cycle can get disrupted. Sometimes we can even see that they almost like lose a little bit that association to the reality as well, because if you really come to think about it, sometimes sleep is a lot more than just resting your body. Sleep is actually resting off your mind. And my personal theory is, you know, when you dream, you're, if any one of you have seen the movie Inside Out, it's like almost like your mind is reconfigurating everything that's happened in the day and kind of allow your brain and also your consciousness on a slightly deeper level to 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 rest so i think once you once that process and once that period of space is disrupted too frequently sometimes people do get out do get a little bit out of touch with what is actually happening around them when they're conscious and we know uh, i'm not saying in any way that jet lag can lead to like things like psychosis but we can we know that in psychiatry um asking about sleep and dreams is actually very very important because if they have more disruptive sleep or their dreams are very very exaggerated they tend to correlate to the severity of their psychiatric presentation as well so i think i think that will be to the very very extreme but once again rare right. um that, thank you so, so to recap so you've, you've got um, issues such as headaches dizziness so you've got headaches and dizziness that can come we've also got this i some idea of irritability on one side and also anxiety on another side and sometimes depressive symptoms are also shown as well as part of as part of jet lag so we've got headaches we've got dizziness we've got irritability we have anxiety, depressive symptoms. We've also got digestive complaints. Um, digestive complaints and sometimes irregularity in let's say some of the menstrual cycle can be caused by this as well. So you've got, and then also um, a dysregulation in, in sort of in glucose metabolism as well can sometimes happen. So we, we've got this and we also have as you're saying a deterioration in vigilance levels so the awareness of an individual actually starts to deteriorate their they, their vigilance and they, they it, like you mentioned with brain fog is that you've got this kind of this deterioration in the way that you perceive something or what we're aware of and it's often you know it's, it's a little like um that old story you know someone gets off a plane and the first thing they do is they're picked up by um, a taxi driver who turns around and says, yeah, I'll take you wherever and drives them all around the way around the city in a five minute drive, because there is this kind of, the vigilance isn't there. There's a kind of like a, there's a lack of vigilance. Um, there's also changes to the urinary function as well, um, which also occurs and also a deterioration of performance and that's cognitive and physical and psychological. So it, it it means that what's happening is that we've got, first of all, if we, what, what Dr. Sanford's really 
and, and said beautifully, is that we've got these cycles that occur. We've got these rhythms and we've got these cycles that naturally occur in the body and they're connected from the body to the environment and the environment influences what's happening in the body. So we've got this almost this symbiosis that's happening between the environment and the body that with, with light, with dark, we get this sleep, this awake state and we get this sort of these rhythms that are happening. Then what we do is we take the body and we propel it at a huge amount of speed through various different time zones. And we can go in one direction, three time zones, in another direction, three time zones. And I think Dr. Stanford will expand on this in a minute about these two different directions of time zones. Um, I hope so anyway. Um, and, then, and then what will happen is that then there becomes an impact of different conditions that appear on the individual and they can appear in lots of different ways. And for me, this is dependent on constitution. And I just want to kind of say, this is what starts to manifest. We start to get these different these different sort of symptoms appearing. So you get kind of these bloating in the legs, you get bloating in the abdomen, you get um, problems with the urine function, you get problems with cycles, but you also get the imbalance with regard to sleep as well. So I just, hopefully we're just kind of being clear on, on what's going on here with regard to this condition, because it's quite an interesting condition. Um, did you want to add anything more? Well, I will add which direction is worse, and this is based on personal experience. Going east is always worse. So my uh, family, or a lot of my family is still in Hong Kong and China. So going that direction, I always find so tricky just because I, I'm assuming a lot of people have this kind of experience as well. You know, when you go eastward, because they, that you have to, I always say plus hours, you have to add hours to their clock. So they, um, so your sleeping time essentially being pushed artificially much um, earlier than it's supposed to be. So like say 8, um, 8 p.m. Well, okay, let's take 10 p.m. actually in, in Hong Kong right now will be equivalent to 2 p.m. Asking me all of a sudden to go to bed 2 p.m. It's going to be very, very, very tricky. So what usually happens is I go to bed. I try to do a little bit of um, exercise maybe during the day when I arrive to time myself out go to bed but then very unfortunately I woke up two hours after right away because that's still only 4 p.m in my body clock in UK time and I actually have to then like read time myself out and didn't go to sleep until like 9 a.m in the morning and sleep the whole day away. What's coming back west so from Asia coming back to Europe let's say is actually much easier because yes it's it's tricky to stay awake when you're exhausted uh, especially you know the clock is eight hours difference, but you can try, like, or at least I can try. I can stay awake for a little bit longer. I can preoccupy myself and then maybe just go to bed a little bit earlier than usual. And I can slowly allow my body clock to readjust. Um, I'm sure there's a much better scientific, much more colloquial response than that, but that's the way that I can think about it is because of the clock changing, going west, uh, going east is always much more trickier. I do have a question to ask Colin because I'm very interested. Is there anything said about uh, in yoga about the sleep and the digestive system? Because I can sort of see the logic in that. I, I'm not 100% convinced per se, but I want to see your view on why, say, insomnia, jet lag, or sleep rhythm um, disturbance is going to cause digestive problems. Um. 
I think it's brilliant. And I, I want to come to that in a few minutes because it's it, it's almost that I was jumping a little farther forward because the food rhythms and patterns, because there's a rhythm and pattern with food as well. And so what you're dealing with, if you think about within yoga, is that you're dealing with huge numbers of rhythms and huge numbers of patterns that are all regulated and happening at every single level. And the consumption of food and the digestion of food is part of that. And I'll come on to this and give the reasons why actually in the approach to jet lag, there has to be a number of things in preparation for travel. One is before we travel, one is during travel, one is after travel. And one is the one thing that's very important is actually food because it's, it has a rhythm and a pattern itself. And you can use food as a rhythm and a pattern to affect what's happening in the system to minimize the impact of jet lag. Um, but I'll come back to this because I want to just kind of rebuild it all together. So um, but I, like, I like your question a lot. I really like it a lot because yes, you're right. There is a connection. Um, and I, I hopefully will explain it by the end of this. Um, if we jump back, because I like what you're saying about East and West, and with regard to moving East, actually, it, it, there's huge numbers of difficulty actually falling asleep moving East than there is the other direction, because the West, because so if you move East, because of the, the clock changes, the time changes, there is this. So it means the sleep disturbance is actually in the first half of your sleep. That's where the sleep disturbance is. And also there is difficulty waking and there is fatigue in the morning and also in the early afternoon. Now, if we go in the opposite direction, we start to get different symptoms. We start to get um, poor sleep in the later half of the night. So you get easier sleep in the first half, but poor sleep in the, in the later half. And we also get, you also get early morning waking. I remember when every time I kept coming back from either India or Tibet, I'd be like jumping up at 4.30 in the morning and practicing and going, this is how I want to live my life for the rest of my life. This is amazing. I'm getting so much done in the day. Everyone should get up at 4.30. And, you know, it's that kind of, that sort of thing that you just, you, you sort of, you don't realize, but you've just come back west. And that's, you know, that's what's kind of going on. So it, it's sort of kind of interesting. And, but then you get fatigue in the early evening and also in the late afternoon. So it's kind of, you know, there's these different sort of symptoms that appear east and west. Now, Stanford, um, can you tell me about the north-south divide as well? Not having that much experience about that, but because the winter and summer's opposite, say when we go to Australia, they're, they're flipped their winter and summer. I even in a more similar time zone, say from Hong Kong to Australia, I, I find that quite difficult in general. I think both directions are quite difficult just because of the weather. But I'm sure you have a slightly better answer than I do. <laughs> no, it's, 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 that, thank you. Because it, it, it's, it, it's interesting because we are, we're subject to the environment and we're also subject to light. And you see light is something that influences this circadian cycle it has a direct influence on it. So what we're starting to do is, is that when we're traveling, we've got to be, be aware of the light and the dark with regard to before we travel and where we're landing as well. So we start to understand a bit about, a little bit more about what's happening as we're leaving and what's happening at the other end so that we can then make plans before we leave and start to understand what's happening you know, afterwards as well. So then we've also got um, 
another thing is that if we go along the same time zone, then there is no changes experienced. It's quite interesting. So if I if I go to South Africa, I think it's what hours difference if that. You know, so it's like going to Paris basically. So it's 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 you kind of you you go straight down, you go straight up, and there isn't that kind of experience. Interesting. So you don't think going into a very different temperature setting has any has has much impact? I think going into different temperature setting has a lot of impact. And I think that also um, going into a pressurized container at a very high speed also has a lot of impact. So I think those two things create a lot of impact. However, with regard to the impact on the, on the, on the actual rhythm, what's happening is it's easier to adjust the rhythm based on that direction than it is on this direction. Um, Next thing is, how, how do we approach it? How do we deal with it? What, what is it that we're looking to do with it? Um, how do we approach jet lag? Is that question to me or is that, is that you thinking? This is me thinking out loud. Okay, I'll let, I'll let you think the whole. But it's a question to you now. Okay, I, I, so I, when I was researching about this, a lot of people have many different ways of preparing. Say going yeast, you start going to bed a little bit earlier. So when you, they, I think they were saying for a, a few days or maybe even a whole week, you try to go to bed one hour earlier if you can per day, which for me doesn't sound very feasible. I don't know, what do you think? I, it's like if I'm working the week leading up to my holiday and every day I have to go to bed an hour early, I don't think it's something that I can actively do. So I have to say, I personally ne never try, but if you do, please put it on the chat and let me know how that go for you. Um, well hydrated, it's always a good idea. Um, in a pressurized area, um, like like a plane in a different altitude, you don't want to get dehydrated, and not just because of your sleep, but also because of blood clots in the legs, like DVT and pulmonary, uh, pulmonary embolism. So it's definitely something you want to avoid. Um, having a good meal, so I always call them quite hearty meals, so like more carb-based, because actually having that blood sugar in your body, it, it kind of put your body into that rest state a little bit more and saying that I, I just had a big meal I need to rest now like activating the parasympathetic nervous system a little bit more just so that you you need to slow down and that tend to work quite well avoiding caffeine avoiding alcohol is usually a good idea caffeine for the obvious reason you don't want any more disruption on your sleep pattern and alcohol tend not to do too well on the sleep pattern in general anyway it kind of make you go to sleep really quickly because it's a depressant, but at the same time, it does disrupt your sleep because it, it has a slightly stronger effect um, onto your um, mentality a little bit as well, as well as our neurology system. And I think the thing that I learned from my experience of going back and forth, because when I was in school, I literally go between UK and Hong Kong three times a year, uh, is actually to wear an eye mask and to have an eye mask over my eyes. So I artificially shut off all lights and force my body to know this is nighttime now, need to rest. Because I think one thing that's very, very artificial in our world is 
you know, I, I clearly, if you want to see on the other side of the camera, I have a light here, I have a light there. I'm really artificially giving myself a lot of light exposure just because I have to function at 23 past seven in the middle of the evening, whilst naturally the light's actually coming down already. My body's supposed to start getting used to the fact that I need to slowly wind down and rest, not so much performing in front of a camera. So sometimes because how urban life has evolved and we have all these electric lights and you know our cell phone our cameras our computers actually i i do need to have the extra barrier in front of my eyes when i sleep so i actually take the pattern outside of the airplane i actually do wear an eye mask most day nowadays when i sleep um blackout blind so that i really can shield myself from the light and i think that's how i prepare and also dealt uh, deal with jack lag in general actually Colin, is it helpful or is it making the water muddier again? No, no, it's, it's really, really helpful because what, what um, you've done is you've, you've addressed a lot of the issues that we're being presented with with regards to jet lag. There is a, a, this rhythm that's occurring, this circadian rhythm that's occurring because of the circadian pacemaker, which is, it, it sets this within the brain and hypothalamus and you've got these rhythms that are occurring according to yoga it's just the cycle of rajas tamas and sattva there's a cycle that's going on you put someone into a situation where you increase the movement at an incredible speed it means there's something called vata prakopa there's an agitation of vata and what that does is that affects all the cycles within the system that are happening which is why you get the byproduct of all of these issues with regard to mental function, nervous function, coordination function, digestive function, urinary function, all of these functions are disturbed. So it actually means that there is a huge amount of disturbance in the function of the system. And so the advice that you're giving is, is perfect advice. It's, it's, it's with regard to, you know, not avoiding alcohol and coffee, um, making sure that what happens is that, that you block out all light during the times that you actually want to sleep so that you actually get this kind of wake-sleep cycle and you keep this wake-sleep cycle. So I, I think what you're suggesting and is, is amazing. Um, I'd like to probably, do you mind if I just go into just a little more with, with regard to yoga? Because I think, I remember talking about this um, with my teacher and he said to me, he said, yogis don't get jet lag. And I was like, I don't believe that for a second. And, and it says that, he, he was saying it's the capacity to be used to constant change. So if what's happening is that you're used to constant change, you've got the capacity to overcome jet lag very, very quickly indeed. Unfortunately, I'm not a case like this. I'm subject to jet lag, so I mustn't be a yogi. So I'm quite, I'm, I'm really okay with this type of thing. Um, so, so I really reflected on this and started to think about this quite a bit because I had to start to design practices for people that were traveling a lot. So they're traveling from city to city, they had to perform, they're doing business, they're doing lots of different things. And I thought, okay, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna prepare this? Because 
when people land, they want to be able to go straight into meetings. So when they land, they want to be able to perform. They want to, you know, get on, move in and out and have the ability to change. So the first thing that I started to look at is to put certain rules in place for people. And I started to put rules in place, which were to do with a lot of the symptoms people were experiencing. And for me, they were Vata Procopa symptoms, they were agitation of Vata. And so I ruled out all drinking on any type of drinking anywhere near travel. So no alcohol, no caffeine, anywhere near travel. Number one rule. The next thing is I ruled out all eating with traveling. Hmm, I hear you say, what do you mean all eating? Well, I ruled this out completely because what I realized is I realized that actually there's such a disruption to the digestive cycle and digestive process as part of the traveling that what occurs is that you eat out of habit or behavior according to the service of the food that is being served on a plane. So if someone comes around and puts food in front of you, you're like, I can't throw this food away. You know, it's, it's food in front of me. I paid for this food. I'm going to eat this food. And so you, you actually fit in with someone else's timing of food rather than actually the fact that you're going to be sitting for 12 hours on a plane without using any energy whatsoever but all you can do is eat three meals and your digestive system and the whole system isn't actually doing anything apart from expanding and bloating and you get off the plane and you feel hungry because nothing's moved at all and you put more food into your system and you wonder why you're bloating and bloating and bloating so this was the next thing that i did is i i is i I, I ruled out all food while flying. And I know it sounds quite harsh. And, I, and, you, and when you're talking to people about this, they look at you and just kind of go, mm-hmm. And, and I go, mm-hmm. just don't do it. You see what happens. And it's very, very, very interesting. The next thing, and, and, but the other thing is that you've got to make excuses to the air stewardesses because what they do is when, when everyone comes, or the air stewards as well, because when they come up to you, they come up and say, why aren't you eating? Is there something wrong with our food? But then when you start to talk to them, it's kind of interesting. So you go and actually have a chat with them. And you say, well, I don't eat because this has this effect on me on the flight. And they turn around and go, you know what? You're completely right. We've all noticed it as well. We don't eat either on the flight. And they go, but well, why are you feeding everyone on the flight? And they go, well, I'm feeding them just to shut them up. So that they just, you know, because people expect to be fed. So it's very interesting because we're dealing with rhythms. We're dealing with patterns. And remember that you're traveling at high speed. So it's like you're taking someone at high speed, which affecting all the rhythms and patterns, but you're trying to keep a consistency within that, which is that you're eating food with that consistency every four hours and going, okay, it's all going okay. And then you wonder why you feel bloated and stiff and you feel all these kind of things going on and gaseous. Or is it that you just like airplane food? Um, Sorry, Stanford. No, don't really enjoy airplane food, but I, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I think the 13-hour flight to Hong Kong might be a bit challenging, but I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I do, I do, I do, I do it quite, quite regularly. Um, so, so what I do is I do this. The next thing I do is there's numbers of different herbs that become very, very important. Um, number one for me is ginger. Uh, it, it's actually ginger root. So whenever I travel, wherever I recommend anyone to travel, I, I take ginger root. So I get ginger root and I cut it up. And I have, a, a, I have something like this. And I put the ginger root into here and I travel with it. And I just get the, the, the staff in the, on the airplane just to constantly fill it up with hot water again and again and again. And I keep drinking it and keep drinking it and keep drinking it. 
So you can use ginger root, you can use fennel, um, and also calomel are good. Um, and also the herbs trapola and ashwagandha are very good as well. Um, and also the castor oil is very good too. So it, it means that what you're starting to do is you're starting to look at what the symptoms are with regard to Vata Prakopa, the agitation of Vata within the system. Okay, it dries things out. That's what Vata does. It dries a lot of things out. Um, it, it stops the rhythm of things and makes them actually irregular. So we have to counter this. And we have to counter this by using liquids. We have to use warmth. We have to use oils. And so the whole process of this for me is getting someone out of the habit of what they do with regard to flying and out of the habit of what they do. So often they have a few drinks at the airport. Often they have, you know, get on the plane, they have, they kind of like have some more drinks, heavy meal. Um, they have some coffee, they have the alcohol, they pass out. And if you look when people land and you look at their faces and everyone just looks like they've aged 150 years, you know, that kind of thing. And so for me, it, this is about stopping this stuff dead. It's about, uh, and I, I use and recommend neem oil, neem cream. So it's a cream that you put on your skin to keep your skin moisturized or sesame oil as well. So you put it on your skin, you put it on your abdomen, you rub it on your joints. So that what's happening is that you're oiling your body up because there's a very high wind going like this that is going on to the joints. So you have to oil it and make sure they're really nicely oiled. So oil on the body, hugely important. Diet, massively important. Before travel, during travel, after travel. Um, and then the, the planning of rests, just making sure there's good rests and good points of, of, of rests um, right the way through this. So for me, it's taking into account the time zone of where someone is landing. So let's say you've got a flight and you're going east and you're looking at the time zones. And let's say you get on a three o'clock flight and you get on the three o'clock flight. And then what happens is at three o'clock, um, you get on the flight and at four o'clock they try and serve you the food and you know that you're landing in nine ten hours time and you know that it's going to be daytime when you land on the other end so how you come to work with the time zones becomes very important because it means that actually you need to cut yourself off from the fellow passengers cut yourself off from the crew which means put your stanford mask on cover yourself up so there's no light that goes to you and make sure that you then sleep on the plane boom, right the way through to when you land and you keep drinking and drinking and drinking ginger tea, ginger water, fresh ginger water all the way through. Moisturise yourself, moisturise your joints and you land in a very different way, very different way. So it's taking this into account. Then, you've, um, then we've also got um, some other ideas and I like Stanford. I like the idea that um, you mentioned with regard to adjusting the week before. I think that's kind of like it's a, a long term idea. Um, sort of if you're, let's say, you are traveling somewhere for a long period of time because jet lags between sort of last between two and 14 days dependent. So it, it, it's 
I suppose just adjusting this sort of somewhere before so that yeah, you maybe you start to go to bed slightly earlier or slightly earlier. I don't know. Or maybe later. Not having the down like earlier. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the next thing is that when you land or you arrive, make sure that you give one day for adjustments. So for me, when it's planning trips with people and I'm kind of going, what's your schedule? Where are you going? What are you doing? They'll say, well, I'm landing here and I've got this, 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 and this. And I say, can you, can we give one day for you to land and transition? So for me, the land and transition becomes important because I need people to rest. I need people to oil. I need people to get outside in their environment for a day. Because actually when they get people outside into the environment that they're going into for that one day, because it's light, because it's got all this, it helps with regard to the rhythm and the cycle. So... For me, this is part of the plan because the circadian rhythm cycle, it, it needs consistency. So it, it requires consistency. So it, if I can provide a consistency for it in the chaos, then it kind of works really well. And also, if I can give it bright light or light in the morning, it also helps as well because it helps to reset things back again. And also if I can get to dim lights in the evening. So when the sun goes down, making sure that rather than having bright lights up, as Stanford was saying, is this electric light thing actually disrupts the cycle of things. So if I can actually dim the lights or ask someone to dim the lights as the lights go down, it helps to reset the whole process as well. Um, so this at the moment is, one of the things that also the process that I go through when I'm working with people to suggest things and often a lot of the time I'm looking at different food and different drink as well based on their constitution so I'm adjusting the food and drink quite a lot as well as we go along with this. Um, so Laura was asking can I eat at the airport before the flight which I guess you partially or you have already answered but I'm going to add my question after that is when can I eat after I landed? Okay. So for me, um, there has to be a process to eating, which means that you land, you transition, and you transition to the eating times for the environment that you're in. So rather than landing straight away, let's say you land at two o'clock in the morning in some airport, and you just think, I'm so hungry, it's unbelievable. And you go to a fast food takeaway, you eat something because you're like, oh, it feels better because I'm so agitated because I've got Vata Procopa. That you take some of this food in, which is, and it just agitates the system even more, but you feel that it kind of grounds you, which is why you're drawn to that heavy food and sweet foods. So for me, it's getting the rhythm right. And this takes discipline to understand the difference between what, hunger is and why I'm using actual food and whether I actually need food. Do, does that make sense, Stanford? No, it, it, it does. I'm, I, so does that include before you start flying or would you usually adjust as, as soon as you get to the airport, you start adjusting to the future time zone, so to speak? Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. I, that might be hard for me too. I will, I will think about that. And I think Connie has a question about how about using ghee for your nostrils? I guess that's another way of 
oiling yourself? Is that a recommended way? Is that a useful way? Is that something to consider? I, I mean, I haven't used it, this myself or recommended it myself. Uh, the only thing I've managed to do with people I've worked with is give them small bottles of sesame oil um, because it's easier to travel with, doesn't go rancid and doesn't smell so bad. So I tend to give people small bottles of sesame oil and say, you know, put that on your joints, put it over your hair, put it on top of your head, put it on your abdomen. Um, and that helps with regard to a lot. Um, but I haven't traveled with ghee or recommended traveling with ghee, but I do know um, that sometimes it is recommended. So I prefer, I think, um, sesame seed oil is really good. And I think olive oil is the other one that I quite like using because it's very similar to the natural oil you have in your body. Um, scientifically speaking, Colin can contradict me. So especially on mucosal membrane, like inside your nose and inside the mouth, I think coconut oil, again, is similar, but tend to be slightly better. Ghee, especially because it, it's, the process is slightly different. I, 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 it might not be the first one that jumps out to me. I'm very happy to eat with ghee, but maybe not so much on my nose. <laughs> Um, so you, you, since you've taken food off the table, Colin, which is, as everyone knows by now, is my favorite subject, I, I'm actually going to do a little bit of extrapolating and take a slight detour. You keep saying that, you know, you're putting people in a pressurized metal container and traveling at very high speed and you need to do a lot of adjusting. It keeps reminding me of the time that I used to do a lot of commuting and by my standard, a lot is an hour each way, morning, evening, and just the speed of the car itself, it makes me feel really uncomfortable. Mm. So you've, it's, we're now talking about someone who's not only jet lagged just because they are flying across free time zone, uh, which technically, uh, technically speaking, is how, how when you start getting jet lag, apparently. Um, but actually, you're talking about someone who's constantly commuting. Would you recommend similar process of, you know, getting themselves ready, getting themselves prepared for the constant travel and the speed as well? Um, with regard to oil and with regard to practices before and after, yes. So... Well, I think no drinking before driving is definitely a good idea. Or during. Sure. Um, for me, it, 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 it's, it's interesting to observe the way that people or what people eat when they travel, whether it's commuting in a car or whether it's going by train or whether it's going by plane. It, it, I, I can see sort of almost people defaulting to certain foods and comfort foods in particular ways. And I would say this is to just to do with Vata Bacopa, agitation of Vata, and to settle this. And linking back to what we kind of talk about in the beginning of the session, that all the digestive problem, is that caused by Vata Bacopa? I may be saying this wrong. Yes, yeah. Yeah, 100%. So it manages the regularity of the whole thing. And because you're putting yourself in a situation which disturbs the regularity, it agitates absolutely everything. So it becomes irregular. And that's why you tend to get constipation, why you get bloating. Um, so some people that travel get a lot of constipation. So other than your bowel, your digestive system, your skin, your joints, 
Any other areas in the body that we need to watch out for? Nervous system. And um, how do you prepare for that? Oil. Um, so oil body, make sure you do a practice beforehand. So very restful practice. When I discussed this with my teacher, we, he and I were, were talking about this and we were talking about, because um, we, we do certain practices that we do a lot of pranayama within the practices. And we were talking about it and he would say to me, you do this pranayama technique up until when you left. Then what happens is that the pranayama technique would no longer work for 24 to 48 hours after you land. Even though you think it works, it doesn't because the energy of your body is about a day behind your body. So it means that everything needs to catch up and sink again before you then do the technique. So it means that a lot of yoga practices, particularly breathing practices and stuff like this, don't actually have the same effect after travel. How about physical practice then? Sometimes I... I... I, I'm now going to use my night shift experience to, to explain this. I, I often, in preparation of night shift, um, try to do some exercise beforehand. Maybe yoga practice, maybe go to the gym, maybe go swimming, maybe something else, maybe climbing. So I tie myself out so that I can go to sleep in a day so I can prepare for night shift. And coming out from night shift, sometimes I try to do a bit of exercise in a in, in the opposite way to wake myself up a little bit so I can stay awake a little bit longer during the day so I can go back into a normal sleeping pattern. So that, that's kind of like my physical practice, not necessarily yoga practice, but what, what would your recommend, recommendation or your teaching will be? A, a, a little exercise is good. A little movement is good. Too much movement increases the agitation of movement within the system which is why you land and you rest rather than land and go, go, go. Because you go, go, go at high speed, then you land and you have to rest in order for stuff to catch up so you can go, go, go. And just again, the resting period tend to be somewhere between two to 14 days, you say? No, that's yeah. the effects of jet lag, um, resting period of one day. Okay. Okay. Oh. So I, I think I think Colin basically said it all about how to manage jet lag. Uh, I think slightly better in a lot of ways than Western side. I think one of the things that I will add on it, which is especially SS shift work, I can see a lot. I, I know a lot of people do use is uh, drugs as well, um, legal ones. So melatonin is a really common one. So that's again, I'm sure most people know, it's kind of the natural pigmentation that our skin have uh, when, when it comes to contact with sunlight. So it almost kind of, it builds up through the day. And then when we go to sleep, you actually, your body naturally metabolize, kind of digest these um, pigments again. So that uh, encourages your body to rest because your body intrinsically know that when the level is high, you know, need to go into rest so they can digest all of these things. So that's one of the things that we tend to use. Sleeping aids or hypnotics, we tend to discourage. So anything uh, sedative, so even antihistamine, uh, some people may use even diazepam or anything stronger. We, I, I personally tend to discourage because I don't think 
relying on pharmacology for your sleep um, is a good way to go in most circumstances. Uh, of course, in very, very urgent setting, like some of the ones that I can deal with in my medical world, it's slightly different. But if all are fine, it's just the situation has changed, like going on the plane, landing at a different time. So actually allowing your body to adjust back into the time frame is always better than you know, taking a drug that encourages you to go to sleep, but then your body become a little bit more reliant on the drug because it kind of even get yourself out more out of rhythm, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, that I think pretty much the only thing I would add on. Colin, what do you think? Yeah, um, I, I think there can be a reliance on melatonin. Um, it, it's, it, 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 it's the hormone that's produced. Um, But it's not as powerful as the, um, and it's weak in comparison to the light dark cycle, um, and also the long term effects of melatonin and use of melatonin aren't really known. So for me, there's a kind of like a concern about that because I feel that, and it, it's not, is it regulated in the UK yet? I think you know, you're in the US. I think so. Yeah. You can confirm. Yeah. So I, I, I I don't know, so I don't know enough about it. Honestly, I really don't. Um, but I always kind of just concerns me just a touch. Um, so, so I, I don't know about that. Um, and there's also no no evidence that physical activity um, can help, or extremes in diet can help with regard to jet lag as well. So, you know, pushing physical activity too much. We, you know, we don't know whether that works or doesn't work. And also with regard to extremes of diet, because some people have tried just protein based diets, some people just carb based diets when they land. So they've tried lots of different things to see has this got an impact in or on jet lag? And there is no evidence either way. Um, so what I've given today is, is just the advice that I give clients that I'm working with um, who are traveling a lot. And for me, it seems to be the it seems to have the best effects um and with regard to physical practice again working with a lot of mudras which um mudra asanas which bring the energy into the body and contain things within the body rather than lots of movement outside of the body so the direction for me is more that type of direction inwards and compressing in so mahamudra Sarangasana, Shirshasana, Vipritikarani, these type of positions um, all combined together to do this type of thing with the energy of the body, just to settle things, to rest things. And that for me is the kind of like the important with regards to physical practice, rather than doing lots of vinyasa prama, lots of surinamskar, I avoid this type of thing. I'm going to ask another personal question then, because I think one of the effects I can feel, especially traveling in airplane and also after landing is dry eye. I, I almost sounds like it's, you know, the same drying effect that you experience on your skin and your joints or my skin and my joints. Um, can't really put oil in my eyes. I, at least I haven't, I've never tried. What would be a good way to go for that? Optrex. Which is? It's a little um, Optrex. Oh, the artificial tears? Yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. 
Okay, fine. That that I as again I, that is something that I try to avoid in general. Um, just because I have used them when I was slightly younger, I I, I have a family history of eye problems, so I try to take care of it a little bit more. Um, but I think sometimes when you rely on artificial eye drops, uh, your eyes, your your body in response will actually produce even less tears, just because you already got the lubrication it has. You don't really need to produce even more. It kind of makes sense that way. Um, but yeah, okay, fine. If you are on the plane, I I can accept that. I I may go purchase some when I go home then. But, but, but for long term, of course not. Um, long term, if there's issues with eyes, of course, there's there's different techniques with palming, shooting, these type of things, which really help with that. Um, but for jet lag, for, for travel at that type of speed, just a small bit of, of this is better than anything else. Fair enough. So no briefing technique for, the, for a dry eye then. <laughs> Um, fine. I think. I think. Just to recap, I think from my point of view, jet lag is is part of the spectrum when your circadian uh, rhythm is disrupted. Uh, it's an extrinsic cause. It's caused by extrinsic factors. So you, us traveling more than three time zones at a time in a very high speed in a pressurized uh, metal cage, as Colin said, and um, it can sometimes mirror other things like shift worker patterns. It can mirror other intrinsic problems like irregular sleeping pattern, non-24 hour sleeping patterns. Um, so it's, it's, it, 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 it is common, but it is uncommon at the same time. It is common because we, we sometimes do it to ourselves, uh, especially if you work shifts, if you, know, you just want to pull an all-nighter for some project you do. Um, but also if you're looking for more rare intrinsic pattern, they, they are not easy, uh, they're not common, easily found. Um, which means that um, to deal with it, it does take a lot of discipline, as Colin said, and I'm going to let him summarise his bit because he's much better at it. Um, so um, to, can I just say thank you um, to Stanford for the um, for explaining so, so well the, this, this, this rhythm, this circadian rhythm that is happening and also the effects of disturbance of the rhythm as well how it affects this wake sleep cycle, this light dark rhythm as well, um, which becomes important as well, and the connection with the whole of the system. So for me, thank you for explaining that, Stanford. And for me, the, this, the capacity to get used to constant change is actually really important as a concept and an idea for travel and jet lag and it's about good preparation before good preparation during and good preparation after landing as well um, it's also the separation from influences with other people during the travel so it, it's the reduction of exposure to light so that you actually are able to sleep when you need to sleep in order to go into the time zone you need to go into. And also it's the reduction of involvement with other people during travel as well that disrupts the cycle. So almost in a way you are kind of reducing involvement with things so that you can then move through and out the other side with less disturbances. Um, regulation with regard to food, regulation with regard to and focusing on just taking the right drink 
into the system, liquid into the system. So something like ginger water, ginger tea, this type of thing, constantly working with this. Um, oiling the body, basic breathing exercises work, pranayama techniques do not work. Um, keeping movement in the body, so practice beforehand, physical practice before and physical practice afterwards that bring the energy in rather than disrupt the energy out of the system. Um, also perhaps not thinking or focusing on jet lag. So you've then got this other thing where actually you've got that kind of, that, that thinking where you kind of go, I'm never gonna get to sleep. I'm not gonna go to sleep. I can't do it, I, you know, I'm gonna be jet lagged. It's gonna be a disaster. Actually not focusing on that and just actually focusing on just getting the, keeping the rhythm right and just getting on with the rhythm of, of where you're traveling into. Um, Um, also, um, what else was I going to say? And, and so, yeah, this, 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 would, this is kind of, this is my summary with regard to... I love it. The more you stress about sleep, the less likely you're going to go to sleep. That's always going to be true, isn't it? I think one last question for Yanni. I might be saying your name wrong. I'm so sorry. So watching films, listening to music on the flights will increase factor. Copa? 100%. 100%. Um, yes, it does. It's kind of interesting. Um, That's a very... A rule, when, yeah, it, it, it's, it's very interesting because as a, as, a, as a rule, what I'll do is I will ask people not to watch and then I'll negotiate for them watching just one film. And I'll say, watch that one film just as you're taking off. So you watch that film for the first part, then you sleep and you do not watch any other film. I'm really quite strict with this because I want people to land and be able to perform in the best way that they can land and perform. So thank you for the question, Ryanie. Um, sorry, Stan, but I'm coming across as really kind of hard. With this. No, I was just going to thank you. Done this for a while and, and what i've found is i've just found that unless you're quite tough with people and quite merciless they don't follow what you say they kind of go well i had one they offered me a glass of champagne just one glass of champagne and i'm like who gets a glass of champagne <laughs> and you know it it's so I, I have to be quite kind of firm with it and really sort of firm with people and just go no and then but haggle just a touch and the only thing i'll give in is just one film and that's it everything else i'll say no I was just going to say, I'm just going to thank you for taking my drink, my food, my entertainment away from the flights. But I hope I will get less jet lag. And also thank you for giving me ginger water. At least I, I got that to fall back onto. <laughs> thank, you for your, thank you for your advice as well. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you everyone for thank joining you. tonight. Um, were you going to say something about next webinar or shower? <laughs> Yes, um, next webinar, JKK, um, we're going to be looking at knee issues. I'm really, really looking forward to this because we see so, as a, as a doctor, you'll see loads and you just see loads and loads of knee issues. I see loads and loads and loads of knee issues as well. And what I want to do is I want to expand out just with Stanford is I want to just look at knee issues. I want to look at and explore the different aspects of knee issues that we're getting um, and what we're seeing quite a lot of 
Would that be okay? Fantastic, and can't wait. So, say so good night for now. Hopefully, you all get a good night of sleep, and we will see you next time. K is for knee surgery. <laughs>